Welcome back to the Sports Medicine Orthopod. My name is Anthony Yu, the winner of the Interesting Injury Award this week goes to Baker Mayfield. And so I brought on my good friend, Dr. Drew Burleson, sports medicine specialist and Cleveland Browns fan, surprisingly, to come on and talk about his team, his quarterback, and try to make sense of this injury. So Drew, it's Friday, the day after an exciting, uh, what is that, week seven, Thursday night football win. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I mean, I was uh, nervous going into the game. Uh, you know, Case Keenum leading us uh, last night. He played pretty well. Uh, big win. I, you know, I I wasn't expecting to stay up for the whole game last night, but it was just too close to go to bed. So I ended up staying up watching the whole thing. But I'm feeling good today. Like a true fan. And so we're going to talk about today. Is this the beginning of the Case Keenum era, at least for this season? And at this point. It remains unknown. And so let's go through some history. Baker Mayfield hurt his non-throwing left shoulder in week two. And at that point was diagnosed with what was called a partial labrum tear. And so quick anatomy lesson, the labrum is a structure deep in the shoulder. The shoulder joint kind of looks like a golf ball sitting on a tee, but uh, turned up 90 degrees. So golf ball sitting on a tee, turned up 90 degrees. And on that flat part, of the joint, the T, there's this ring-like structure that lines the periphery. We call that the labrum. And we actually break up the labrum so we can speak about it in a way that everybody understands into a clock face. So 12 o'clock, six, three up in front, uh, nine in the back. And as you could imagine, if that structure is torn and the head's moving around, I'm oh, sorry, head's moving around on it, if it's maybe torn in front, every time the head of the humerus the ball butts up against that torn labrum, that's going to cause pain. And it could even so much as cause the shoulder to be unstable. And that's a word you're going to hear us talk about a lot today, instability of the shoulder, where that labrum structure, that bumper that kind of secures the head in place is compromised to the point that will actually allow the ball to slip out of the socket, what we call dislocation, or partially come out of the socket, maybe not all the way, what we call a subluxation. And then a new wrinkle into uh, this story is, well, I should back up. Then in week six, he got hit again, fell onto the left shoulder. And that's what triggered this whole, is he going to have surgery? How much time is he going to miss? We're not sure. And at that point, he came out with comments this week saying his labrum was completely torn. He was ruled out for Thursday's game. Possible he returns in week eight, but unsure. And then yesterday, this was uh, Thursday at about 5 p.m., an ESPN article says, uh, reported uh, by with comments that he made that he actually had a fracture, a, a break in that bone as well. And as a result of that, he was having trouble firing his rotator cuff tendon. So we're, we're going to break that down for you guys and, and what that means to us as orthopedic surgeons, shoulder specialists, when we hear that. Drew, what were you thinking when you kind of watched this all and, and read about it playing out? You know, I mean, um, so it, in the game in week six, I mean, he had that typical mechanism where he fell, he was hit to the ground, had the arm out like in this position in the arm back that way. And I was, I was initially optimistic because he went to the, the blue tent was then was able to come back into the game. Um, he actually even tried to practice on Tuesday. I think he may have practiced on Tuesday, actually. And then on Wednesday, he just couldn't go anymore. Um, so um, again, the fact that this is his non throwing shoulder, I, mean, I still think there's a chance that, you know, that he's able to rehab and, and play the rest of the season again, especially the fact that he was able to practice on Tuesday. Um, it, but again, I, I think it, it still 
we have to wait and see, you know, how he responds over the course of the next, you know, week or so in regards to what he does long term for the rest of the season. Yeah, and this is an important fact. It's his non-throwing shoulder. Do you think if this was his right throwing shoulder, there's any way he's considering coming back to the field this season? No, I, I don't think so because, the, like we talked about before, the position where you get in wherever you ha- – it's the position of instability is with your arm out in this position and externally rotated like this. So, again, if you try to think about it, every time you try to throw a ball, you're getting it into this position. So that would leave him – it would be very painful for him because he'd be, te- he'd be testing that front part of his leg labrum every time he brought his arm back to throw. Um, again, the fact that this is his non-throwing shoulder, I think, makes it a lot more likely that he's able to try to rehab and, and go back and play the rest of the season. Yeah, and you bring up an important point, which is that labrum tears can present in a number of ways. It's usually pain, or it can be instability, as we talked about, or it could be both. Now, we have not examined Baker Mayfield. We don't know his imaging. Uh, We don't know what happened on the sidelines. And so we're not actually sure if his shoulder was dislocating. I did read a report today that indicated that he was. And some of the comments he made this week about sort of the goals of rehab, uh, one of them is to stabilize the shoulder maybe would lead one to believe that he has an unstable shoulder. But but regardless, we know he was in a ton of pain, labrum tears, when, again, that shoulder is struck or um, put into a certain position that challenges the labrum tear. Very, very painful. And it speaks to his toughness that he was even you know able to continue to compete or was even thinking about coming back to play uh, this week. You know, for the average human, you know, that that's not going to happen. This is me or you and, you know, or, you know, young, strong guys who, who have to work with our hands, we're orthopedic surgeons or, or laborer, you know, you dislocate your shoulder or you re-aggravate a labrum tear, you're not thinking about going back to work a few days later. You, you need to rest. But the fact is, like, he actually toughed out a game and the rest of that game and thought about coming back this week. And so, you know, tough guy, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, you know, it's one of those things that like, during the game, you know, you have that adrenaline going. And so, I mean, it's, it's, you're able to fight through a little bit of that stuff. But I think, you know, after the game, I think he realized, you know, how much more pain he was in. And again, like whenever you can't practice, I mean, I think that he realized this is a lot more serious than, than they thought initially. So, again, I think that's what that cuts him out last night. Yeah, I think before the decision that he was going to be ruled out for Thursday night football was made, he did seek a second opinion, probably from somebody similar to us, a uh, sports medicine doctor, maybe a shoulder elbow specialist who, you know, probably advised him, this is not in your best interest to play this week, and, and we'll see. Um, now, you know, w- let's talk about this thing of the tuberosity fracture. And so I brought out this uh, little model, uh, this being the front of the shoulder, this being the back. The, the tuberosity are these little knobby pieces of bone on the outside of this thing, which we call the proximal end or the top of the humerus, humeral head, whatnot. And there are attachment points for some rotator cuff tendons. So you're looking directly at the side of it. Uh, one of the biceps tendons is coming down here, down the front. That's that thin strip. And then this is a, a very commonly injured rotator cuff tendon called the supraspinatus that attaches to something called the greater tuberosity, which actually two other rotator cuff tendons here in the back. Uh, let me see if I can do this. Yeah, they, they attach there as well. And then there's a smaller tuberosity in front uh, here that attaches to um, another, a fourth rotator cuff tendon called the subscapularis. And so... Yeah, I think you and I were surprised to kind of read about this tuberosity fracture, um, little wrinkle to the story. What, what were you thinking when, when you heard that? So there are a couple of things. I mean, like one, whenever he was driven down to the ground, it could have just been a, a fracture that um, from being driven down to the ground. Um, the other thing is sometimes when you actually did completely dislocate the shoulder, the front part of the shoulder can hit the back. It can basically, if you can imagine like this, the ball can go out of the front. And when it comes back, 
the ball can hit the the portion of the the socket. It's actually called a hill sacks uh, lesion, but I mean that's a, can be described as somewhat of a fracture as well. Um, I think that's probably more along the lines of what it is. It's probably a hill sacks lesion that he has. So again, but the rotator cuff muscles do attach onto there. Um, but if yeah, if I had a guess, then that's more than likely what it is. Just the fact that if the shoulder came out of place and that ball was able to hit that socket, then he had a subtle injury to the sock to the uh, head portion. Yeah, and these hill sacks lesions are typically indentations. It's not like the piece of bone popped off and is floating in space. That can happen with tuberosity fractures, and certainly when that occurs, the rotator cuff's not going to work because it's now attached to a piece of bone that's floating in space and not attached to the rest of the humerus. That's probably not what's going on here. Like, if that was the case, he's getting surgery. Those tuberosity fractures, um, unless they're really not that far off, they those need surgery. And so obviously no surgery has been committed to yet. So that's probably not what's going on, but that sort of indentation impaction fracture or break uh, certainly could be um, explain to us why the rotator, you know, they mentioned specifically, Oh, his rotator cuff is not firing. Like wh why might that not be the, the rotator cuff is still attached presumably to this traumatized piece of bone, but, but why wouldn't it actually kind of work right now? I mean, so whenever you have, I mean, your one of your your body's reflexes to pain is just to shut down. Um, you see this a lot with people who have like knee problems or th um, they just say that they feel like their knee is giving out on them. Whenever they're overall, they're ligamentously stable, but it's just like the the pain is causing the knee to buckle, and they're like, "Oh, my knee keeps giving out. I think I have a ligament injury." That's usually not what the case is. And I think that's probably the case with this as well. That I mean, it's just his body. There's nothing that he can do about this. It. It's just his normal body's reflexes that whenever he tries to fire his rotator cuff muscles, that the the cuff is actually pulling on that torn piece of bone, and he's just not able to do that. So I think it's it's going to be a little bit of time before that for that that fracture, the hill sacks lesions, to heal a little bit before he's able to fire those rotator cuff muscles without pain. Yeah, absolutely. And again, if we're going to analogize this to the general population. That's probably going to take several weeks to heal up to the point where you feel like you've got your your rotator cuff back under your own voluntary control to move that left shoulder in the way you want it to. And so let's talk the rest of the season before we jump into you know uh, what's been alluded to that he will likely need surgery in the off season uh, for this left shoulder. What are you thinking? Is is it likely he comes back next week or? And, you know, we should just say for the general population who's uh, general audience who's listening to this, there, there are no exact timelines on this. This is just, you know, kind of what we see in our own practices. Uh, but there is definitely a range. So, I mean, it, the question, I, I think the first question would be, you know, when's he going to come back? And I think it'd be difficult to say. I, I would be optimistic that he's back next week, um, just from the, from the standpoint that he practiced on Tuesday. He again, he went back into the game after the initial injury. He practiced on Tuesday, and then it was Wednesday when he decided he couldn't play. Um, they're going to have a again a long week, so he almost he has whatever from now until the next Sunday. So over a week before he's able to get back, he's going to have a lot of um, treatment on this shoulder. I think, and again, the fact that this is his non throwing shoulder, I think it's a lot more likely that he's able to come back next week. Uh, I think he makes it back at some point in time this season. Timeline-wise, I don't really know. Yeah, I think I think that's accurate. And again, like you alluded to, it's just going to depend on how comfortable that, that shoulder feels. Um, again, I mentioned that <clears throat> it's been indicated he's going to go for surgery, most likely on the shoulder at the end of the season, which 
what we find interesting is that, you know, the calculus of decision-making for a professional athlete is different than say somebody like you or me, you know, if we have this injury and at this point we're thinking there's a recurrent injury because he first did it in week two and now he's done it again. We're probably thinking surgery at this point for us uh, pr pretty soon, right? We're, we're not going to wait another six months to do that. But for a professional athlete whose livelihood is dependent on him being on the field, it's different, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the one thing he does have going for him is that he's 26 years old. So whenever the younger you are, the first time you have a shoulder dislocation, the higher risk you have of having recurrent dislocation. So young being like less than 20 years old. So when you get to be in your mid 20s, I mean, there's absolutely the possibility that he can rehab his shoulder. And without even having surgery, he could have a completely stable shoulder and never have any issues with this ever again. Um, I, I think, again, if there is, I don't know if, if they'd be dead set on the fact that he's for sure going to have surgery in the offseason. I get my I, my take would be he's probably going to try to come back and play the rest of the season. If he gets back and he's absolutely fine, has no other dislocations, no instability events, feels 100%, I think there's, there is the chance you just try to rehab this and never have surgery ever. Um, I think the other things that go point towards surgery would be, again, if he continues to have episodes with this, he feels like his shoulder is kind of sliding in and out of place. Um, also, the fact that, you know, he plays such a high-contact sport where he's going to be getting driven into the ground many times in the future, um, he's at a lot higher risk of having recurrent uh, instability events. So, you know, I, I don't think it'd be completely unreasonable to think that he is able to rehab this and never have surgery. But um, I, I think the goal would be to get him through at least the rest of the season and reevaluate at the end of the season. Yeah, and what you said there about the football is a huge point. He's at a very high risk, uh, plays a very high risk sport. Rugby, rugby would be another one. And so the chance of re-injury, especially at the quarterback position, I mean, it wasn't like he meant to hurt his left shoulder again. It just happens. You know, he's going to mm -hmm. get hit. He's going to be driven to the ground. You can't always protect uh, a particular body part you're trying to in those types of situations. And so the very high risk for, for re-injuring this again. But to your point, you know, do you have to have surgery for a shoulder that's got a labrum tear and maybe dislocated one or two times? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think in our practices, the folks who are doing shoulder stabilization surgery for are typically those who dislocate the shoulder over and over again. It can get to be so bad that, you know, they're dislocating in their sleep or something very innocuous, like reaching back to, to grab a backpack in the back seat or something, and then the shoulder pop out. Um, there, there is some talk to be more aggressive, maybe even after the, the first or, or second dislocation to be more aggressive with surgery. Um, but yeah, there's certainly a role for trying to treat this non-operatively. I think our fear for Baker Mayfield is just that he plays a very high risk sport and the, the chance of re-injury is really high. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, if he says two, if he's already had two injuries, again, the first one being whatever the partial labral tear and then having another one. Again, given the sport that he plays, I mean, I, I think that they probably lean towards it like as soon as the season's over. Because again, like you don't, the last thing you want to do is try and treat this non-operatively, and you get into week one, and all of a sudden you dislocate your shoulder again next year. Then you're like, well, shoot, we should have done this when we had the chance. Yeah, absolutely. And there's recent precedent for this, although not in the uh, NFL. I'm sure there is an NFL player that has gone through this exact same thing, but I can't come to mind. But the one I'm thinking about is in the MLB, Cody Bellinger who uh, we famously did a podcast about before we came to YouTube about he hurt his shoulder, which I think it was the NLCS uh, Dodgers made to the world series. Um, he had dislocated. I think this was the second time in that uh, playoff injury and was able to rehab it enough so that he participated and played pretty well in the world series, got a title. And then immediately in the off season had stabilization surgery, which went very well. 
and was back that next season. Um, and, you know, out here now still doing it without uh, um, further repercussions. And so let's talk about the surgery uh, momentarily. So in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, surgery for the labrum, whether it's a labrum tear that's causing pain or instability or both, it, it's pretty successful. You know, we do a lot of shoulder surgeries for different reasons, rotator cuff tears, biceps issues, et cetera. But I'd say labrum, it's up there towards the top in terms of what we can expect for, for a very successful outcome. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a great surgery. I mean, honestly, like some of the happiest people you have, I mean, they, they usually do very well. You, you fix the problem. You know, it's not like they just have pain. It's like their shoulder is popping in out of place and all of a sudden you put it back into place. So, I mean, yeah, overall, very successful surgery. Yeah, and the other thing that's important for Baker Mayfield or high-level high athletes or athletes of any kind is – not only can we solve the pain or instability, but can we also get you back to playing at the same level you were before? And, you know, granted, this is a non-throwing shoulder, so it's not like we're going to be, you know, clocking how far he throws with his left arm. But generally speaking, it's, it's pretty high percentage that go back to playing at the same level they were before. So that's all great news. H how do you fix it? Like, how do you actually go out and fix a labrum tear? So, I mean, what you do is, I mean, again, imagine that the shoulder is a golf ball and a golf tee, okay? And on that golf tee, like you said, is the labrum. The labrum kind of acts as a bumper. So, so imagine like whenever you're going bowling, you have, they have those bumpers that go up in the side. So imagine like in the spot, like, you know, if we were looking at a, at a clock face, if this is, you know, 12 noon up here, it's just 3 o'clock on this side, and then, again, 6 o'clock right here. Usually those labor tears occur right in this area, okay? Right, right in the front part between 3 and 6 o'clock. And that labrum, that labral tissue, again, imagine it's like a bumper, just falls down. So what you go, you free up that tissue that's kind of scarred down there, and we put something called suture anchors. So what, what a suture anchor is, if you've ever put a heavy picture up on a wall, you usually have put an anchor into the drywall so the screw um, has a better purchase in there. We use these in surgeries a lot, too. So those anchors go into the bone right out of the face of the um, socket, and then we take the suture that goes around that tissue, pull it back up, and tie it right back into place. Uh, if you if you're curious enough, you can go to my Instagram page, Drew Burleson, MD. I mean, I, the, I think the last video I posted was fixing a labral tear. Yeah, it's an awesome video. It's very slick, and I remember when I saw it, I'm just like, "What is this?" But actually, it was great, and um, uh, it's a very similar technique I use. And and you'll see in that video, um, it looks like Drew's underwater because he's doing what we call an arthroscopic surgery. He's in in a minimally invasive way with a camera. Uh, the joint is distended or filled up with fluid to give a nice clear picture and kind of separate the joint structures so you can get in there to maneuver not only your camera, but the small instruments to, to fix these tissues. And that's a very common way to fix a labrum tear. Um, there, there's a traditional open technique where you're making more of a big incision down the front of the shoulder, open it up. Uh, one of the really nice things about the arthroscopic approach, as you could guess, it's uh, a little safer in terms of risk profile compared to a bigger open surgery, uh, open surgery where you may encounter nerves and um, important blood vessels. But also, you know, sometimes those labrum tears, uh, they'll, they'll escape out the back as well. They'll kind of come up that six o'clock region up towards nine up the back. And, and it's really hard to approach um, a labrum tear in the back coming through the front of the shoulder. And so when you're in there with the camera, coming from these different angles at the shoulder, you, you can really get access to that um, circular structure, that labrum from, from every angle to fix, you know, any type of labrum tear. So it's, it's a really nice way to do it um, for, for a number of reasons. And then Drew, what's, what's your typical expected recovery time after uh, labrum repair or stabilization surgery? 
So I would say usually around probably around four months, three to four months to be completely a hundred percent. Usually you're, you're feeling pretty good two to four weeks after surgery. I mean, I, people usually get their motion back pretty quickly. Um, we protect certain things though. So, I mean, like you're not really running much until about 12 weeks after surgery. That's kind of what takes the longest time is really to, to let everything heal up, but then get back into shape because you don't want like a lot of jostling on your repair. So again, like you're not even really running or doing much activity until about three months after surgery. And then at that point, you usually let them start doing a little bit more sports specific stuff. So again, like to get your conditioning and to get back to full active participation, you're probably looking around four months, maybe a little bit longer. Yeah, it takes the labor about three months to heal solidly. And that, you know, as strong uh, as Baker Mayfield is compared to you and me, that, that's that, that's just human physiology. But um, the rehab is much faster than, say, a rotator cuff repair, uh, which really is more like a six-month recovery and, and maybe in some cases even longer. Um, let's just touch base on this new piece of information we have, and that is the tuberosity fracture. Would you expect that needs any surgery or no. would you just let this heal and then so be it? I think it's probably insignificant. Again, I mean, it, it could be a hill sacks lesion that we talked about. Could I mean, he just could have had like, again, he could have a small non-displaced uh, greater tuberosity fracture, but it sounds like based on what, what they're saying, this is a, a relatively insignificant finding on the MRI. Yeah. So non-displaced fracture basically means the pieces in the puzzle are all the same. Or are in the same location, but there may be a little crack through the foundation, and that will heal up, especially in a young guy like this, no problem. Um, again, we talked about if the tuberosity had popped off completely, separated from the humerus, that needs surgery, so we know it's not that uh, scenario. Otherwise, he would probably already would have had it fixed. And there are some hill sacs lesions, these gouges into the bone that are so deep that you, you do have to do something for that. You actually fill in uh, the, the gouge with um, some overlying rotator cuff tissue, but that, that's not that common um, and, and, and probably wouldn't be uh, needed in this case. So yeah, I agree. Most likely it's, you know, uh, something that causes pain right now, but should heal very reliably and, and not affect his ability to come back this season uh, or, or even after his uh, potential surgery in the off season. Right. Absolutely. Well, uh, I think that about wraps it up. Um, Drew, you must be feeling pretty good. I, I talked to you before the game yesterday, and there was trepidation in your voice. Now you're oh, feeling yeah. – I mean, I had very high hopes earlier on in the season. Um, a lot of injuries. I mean, we got one of our tackles back last night. We looked overall pretty good. Um, but, no, I'm not feeling really good right now. Um, good. Baker back. I'd like to get our, the, you know, the rest of our, our running backs back as well. But, I mean, again, I mean, to win last night, I mean, we're, I'm very happy about that. Yeah, and um, uh, we got NBA season here. Are you excited about that? Man, you got to be, man. Steph had a night last night. I mean, my goodness. Steph's still doing it. Um, you just keep thinking, man, how long can he keep this up? And he just he just keeps doing it. But, I know my um, wife this morning, she's like, she's like, wasn't he like a little pipsqueak from Davidson? Like, how is he doing <laughs> well? And I'm like, I, I honestly, I don't know. I really don't know. He's unreal. He's got some guns now. Yeah. Pipsqueak got some guns. All right, Drew, really great seeing you. Uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Please hit the subscribe button so we can keep doing this for you. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks very much. Hey, folks, thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, please subscribe, like, and share. And we love to hear from you. 
If you have a question about today's show or you, a loved one, or maybe your favorite athlete has sustained a sports medicine injury that you would like to know more about, please reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or email. And stay tuned for more exciting content from the Sports Medicine Orthopod. Thanks again.